Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul had spoken of the boldness that he had in preaching in Thessalonica. And he gives the motive for that. He says, the way I was able to do this was because my motive was that to please God and not to please people. And he elaborates. He says, I was shamefully treated in the previous city. Whenever he was in Philippi, before traveling through two cities to get the Thessalonica, he, in Acts chapter 17, has the record of this shameful treatment. Publicly embarrassed, publicly beaten, intimidated, mocked, and put in the stocks. And only whenever they found out it was in their error did they let him go silently. And yet we can sit there and consider that whenever all of this shameful treatment happened in one city and Paul was ushered out, they took him to the edge of the city and said, be gone. He goes to the next city and what does he do? Starts right back up. He's that, uh, that one, you know, thank you, I'll have another. Creates for himself the same problems he had in the last city by preaching the same message and the same gospel to a people whose hearts were the same, an unregenerate, hardened people. But in Thessalonica, he begins to find an audience for a time until it stirred up enough commotion that they send him on his way. And as he talks through his motives on my desire is to please God and not please men, in there, we, we began to look at how, how could this man have this level of perseverance? If we were subject to shameful and harsh treatment, I know myself, it would, there would be a, a, quite a recovery period before I'd be willing to speak up again. And there's people that, on, in my context, a much smaller context than what Paul was in, whenever you reach out, you try to minister Christ and it gets completely rejected, you get mocked for it, it has an effect on you. So whenever we try to consider, well, how was Paul able to go from one time of shameful treatment to a time of boldness in such a a short time period, we have to look at that motive. But it also gives the image to us that maybe our motive isn't there yet because we would respond differently. And there were these two thoughts that we had last week. One is that our primary aim in evangelism is not to win friends, which is tricky. It sneaks in there. But what is our aim? To win people to Christ, to the kingdom of God, and not to ourselves. But we want those to, that we would minister Christ to reconcile with him, not simply join our cause carry our you know, placards or, or pray with us for somebody, engage in some type of Christian ministry, but we want them to truly be disciples that when the test comes, they would stand the test and receive that crown of life that God promises. In, in order to reconcile them, God has the, his own storehouses wide open. You're free to offer all of the mercy of God You don't even really have to ask them. Somebody says, what must I do to be reconciled with God? You don't have to say, wait just one second. (laughs) No, we know that God desires, delights to reconcile with people. And so we offer his riches to everyone freely. That's how they were given to us. And we likewise are to give them away. The second thought, the second 
point we had last week comes from Luke 16.10, a verse that is powerful in, in my own understanding of what the Lord calls me to. He says, he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whenever Paul says the boldness to proclaim to you, that's a boldness to proclaim the gospel. How many of us has God called to preach to crowds of thousands? Well, that's not the most common time of ministering. Who does it most, what, what it's the number of people that it most commonly occurs? You and one other person that However, the circumstances have broken down whenever you begin to talk about Christ and that one person is interested, what do the rest of the people do? Some listen, most of them scatter. <laughs> and you're left with just one. And there's a ministry there that if, if you would shrink back in fear before just one, then you should not expect that context to get any bigger. But also, in that one-on-one, if you would shrink back from even whispering, you won't even get a peep about Christ out of me. How would we ever then think that if we won't say anything, we would then be bold? We're not considered bold at that. We're considered shrinking back and giving in to the fear of man, the, the pleasing of people. And so as we go into our passage this morning about confronting not just the desire to please people, but more generally the fear of man, there's a few caveats that I want to give along the way. And the first one is that evangelism is not done without God. Does the Lord go with us in evangelism? He's like the required party to be present in evangelism. But in many cases, there are those who feel the commands and the calls to evangelism like it's um, torture or like it's some obligation that they must do, but they really don't want to do. How many of us have had the thought or heard somebody else make a statement, something like this? Uh, I know I need to tell them about Jesus. Is that, is that the, the joy of the Lord? I know, she needs Jesus. Same answer over and over again. And if I just simply say Jesus, and in the context, whenever she's telling me everything at work, and I just say, you need Jesus, and then I bolt. When the text says we desire to please God, who tests our hearts? Is that a... Is that a test? I mean, we're not satisfied with our evangelism. Do you think the Lord would be satisfied with that? Or is he calling us to more, to endure with people, to actually minister to them? And this is the image that Paul gives us today, as the title would suggest. How do we treat somebody in that? Is this, am I called to give this big, long sermon to them and hit all points of biblical theology? Is that what they're looking for? Is for the ministers of God to answer a hundred questions? Or are they looking for hands and feet that would love them, that would communicate the love to them with the name of Christ on their tongue? It's the latter. And so as we go through this, if some of these thoughts on 
the manifestations of the fear of man, if that has characterized your ministry, and if that devil among us up there flying across the ceiling has distracted you, if he gets close, you'd have seen an attack. No, we've, we've all seen ourselves in these descriptions. And so as you see yourself, I would encourage you to pay close attention to the image that Paul gives us for how to minister as being like a nursing mother. So with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm actually going to start in verse 3, but our, our text for today is 5 through 9. So the Apostle Paul says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And at that, let's pray. Lord, we have been recipients of your ministers coming and tending to us, Lord, as infants. And Lord, as we've received this, that was the very means by which you called us to yourself to be born again as an infant. Lord, what a tender, vulnerable time. But you, Lord, you have been that one who's nursed us, that one who is like a father, exhorted us, encouraged us, challenged us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Lord, that we would be brought up in the faith to maturity. Your love for us is not just something that we're to be born again and that's it. But it is a purification, a maturing, a growing. Lord, that we would stand mature in Christ but that when we meet you face to face, we know you. We rejoice because we've seen you. We've been with you. Now, oh, physically away from you, but then face to face. And Lord, what a joyful day that will be. But Lord, let us be encouraged that as you've ministered to us, we take this. And Lord, this is how we would then minister to others, to draw them to you. Let that be the, the cry of our heart, that we would minister to others. And Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So you can see from the title there how to treat an infant, that we're starting early in the process of Christianity. How do we begin at the beginning? How do we treat those and enter them into the faith? What, do, what did Paul's ministry look like? And as we go, it's not so much a compare and contrast, but this is Paul clarifying, hey, this is what you saw from me. Now let me interpret this so that you would understand that what you received was a true, genuine ministry, that those who cared 
for you. We're not simply trying to gain followers, that we weren't trying to bilk you for money. We weren't trying to get you to praise us, but we were just simply middlemen who came with a message that you might be reconciled to God. And so there's a few here that he wants to cross off the list that we're going to look at first before we then turn to how he says we were gentle among you. So last week, as we were looking at the theme of pleasing people rather than God, we now pick up with these additional uh, clarifiers. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A snare for who? Is the snare that we would lay whenever we're afraid for us to then step in? Or is it a snare that others would step in? If, if I get a both, then, then, then yeah, if I just simply get a yes for both. It is laying a snare out in the open that anyone could fall into, but primarily it is for us. And we know that those times that we have allowed the fear of man to grow we then get in more problems than what we, what we bargained for. That the fear of man is a snare. He then gives the way out. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that's a theme running through these. As he gives, and I'm, I'm using the word personalities. You know, as he says that uh, the personality of we did not fear, or we did not try to please people. We didn't try to use flattery. We didn't try to glorify ourselves. There's a theme in which there are those whose primary means of fearing man, they're characterized by this. Those who would use flattery as a primary technique, there's a reason why they're using that. And I want to look at it kind of in a, I'm going to to use the word personality, and, and you'll see why. Because in the same way that the fear of God is a spectrum where you would go from, there's the fear of God that leads to repentance. There's a fear of God in obedience. As that fear of God grows, it is into love. It's into worship. So as you're maturing in the fear of God, you don't leave the first one, but there's a growth in you and there's a spectrum that as you grow, you continue to deepen in your fear of God. And likewise, with the fear of man, There are some that are very almost simple, not too significant of a snare, but whenever those are allowed to grow, it then, it progresses into, I'm just simply people pleasing, and now I find myself having to keep up this image, so I am trying to manage that, control what you might think of me, so then I have to use flattery. And before I know it, I am just simply in a full-fledged desire to receive glory from others. So there's a, a continuation in this. When unchecked, it grows, it morphs, it destroys. And that's what it looks like to be caught in the snare, as we'll, as we'll look at in each one of these. But I want to put this disclaimer up front. Not everybody who has a concern about confronting somebody else is the fear of man, as though you're, you're petrified. 
if you were to go through the four gospels, was there ever a time Jesus hid, took off, dodged some folks? And what was he preserving? But his own safety. Yeah, his, his life, his own safety. But then did he stay gone and just, hey, I'm going, you know, enough with the Middle East here. I, you know, I heard Europe's great this time of year. And he just left town. No, as there was a time of safety for him, he knew that the, there was a time that this did need to be confronted, but he found the right time and the right method by which he would go about that. King David, likewise, you know, he's writing Psalms like Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Would we counsel David to just... David, you got to stop fearing that army, walk right up to them, put your finger in their face and say, listen here, guys, that's, that's bad for business, okay? No, there's, there's a point in which it's not the fear of man because it, it's not simply that I am afraid, but there's other complicating factors that need to be addressed and we need help in addressing it. I don't want it to communicate that if there's a real concern that you have in your life, a difficult relationship that, as in Christ's case, as in the case of David, that it's hostile, that it's dangerous, that the counsel from the ministers of the Lord is not, hey, you're afraid, hey, you need to get on in there, you know, toughen up. That's not loving it's not Christ-like, but it also doesn't follow the pattern of wisdom from the scriptures. And I say this whenever we are in a day that there's a lot of claims of, I'll use the word abuse or, or harm. There's a lot of claims of that, but we're also in a day whenever there's a lot of it occurring. First Timothy 3, in these last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be and in that long list, brutal. And as ministers of the Lord, we want to help people in those contexts. As we'll see in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we help those who need help. We help the weak. So I want to put that out there as a disclaimer up front that I'm not saying, hey, you just need to get in there. There's more wisdom. And I, I hope to uh, supply that. But if there's also situations that you would need that help, go to those who can help. Okay, disclaimer complete. So pleasing people. Paul says that we speak not to please men. And this word literally here, pleasing people, is not to satisfy the expectation of people. If you think of people, what, or a people pleaser, what image comes to mind? The, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, whatever you say. And somebody who is just there to serve, and he does, you know, just whatever it takes. Combine that with somebody who has a very weak spiritual compass. So if you believe something strongly, I'm there with you. But then you might believe something strongly, and it's in opposition, and I'm, for that conversation, oh, now I agree with you 100%. And you have a different take? Well, I agree 100% with you. And now, when everybody has a different take, and I agree with every one of you, 
You see the snare? So now I have to manage what relationships I bring together, and there's this anxiety that grows. Well, I can't agree with you and you in the same context, so I've got to avoid this situation. I've got to make sure that I massage it. Well, and do you see how it's a life of running around frantically, just simply try and but here's the issue is that my view is all horizontal. And whenever Paul says we were not there to please people, in the context of evangelism, he's not there just simply trying to say whatever is need, needed to get people to agree with him. His boldness was because whenever he's preaching the word of God to them, these are things that would confront them, things that would be difficult topics, concepts that would go against people who've lived in a city of idolatry, in a city of the, the opulent temples dedicated to the idols. And the opposite of the people pleaser there in verse 4 is one who is a God pleaser, the one who speaks truth in his heart, the one who knows that there are consequences for what he says, people may not like him, they may not agree with the message, but he does not compromise the message. Does not compromise. Simple fear is combated with simple faith. The second one in verse 5, we never came to you with words of flattery. Flattery literally is the word fawner. And this we'd have to give that demonstration of somebody, if somebody was fawning over you, what does that look like? It's this over-the-top praising of your greatness that even you are thinking like, "Mm, that's a bit much. This guy probably doesn't know me. But it's, the angle on this is that it's with the anticipation of it working for their advantage. And if you've seen somebody use flattery as a technique, you'll really see it whenever it's with somebody else. And they, they praise somebody next to you, and you're thinking like, that is way over there. Like, he's not that good. What are you talking about? And then you see somebody respond to it with joy, and you're thinking like, that is a manipulation tactic. That's, that's exactly what it is. And then they come to you, and they're telling you positive things about yourself. And they go elsewhere and they're talking positive about them. Somebody who is trying to build you up with an expectation. And I'll say more on that, but whenever they want something in return, you'll see this whenever people want a certain position. Maybe it's at work. And so they fawn over, they flatter those who are needed or those who need to make the decisions in order for them to get ahead, right? You see this in the ministry with ministries that are successful. They start out successful, but then they run into some difficulty and it is, hey, we've been successful all along. How do we, if we're on a roll, how do we keep this thing rolling? And you see the temptation that goes up in the heart there that, you know, I want to keep a good thing going. I want a successful ministry that's growing and, you know, everything's expanding. The numbers are being added to. How do I keep that rolling? And you see the temptation there. We see it often 
that the manipulation begins to, to start amongst those that they want to witness to. Some just simply want people to follow them. They want clout. They want an audience. This happened in Galatia. Paul had said in chapter four seventeen. there, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you would make much of them. It's a bait and switch. I'm going to build you up. Oh, you're so wonderful. That was so great. And once I've got your buy-in, then I'm going to start asking something out of you. This is actually something you can study in psychology. There's a natural tendency for people to reciprocate. So if somebody were to give you a gift, hold the door for you, give you a compliment, if somebody gave you a gift, are you not, is there a sense of indebtedness to them now? And it's a natural pull that you, you don't say, like, this is what they did. There's just a, a pull that uh, I want to respond kindly to this person. When someone gives you a compliment, hey, you're the most obvious one. Hey, you're good looking. You're like, wow, <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. I've never experienced that, but hypothetically, <laughs> if they were to say something like, oh, I've got a friend, that I, I have a friend that you just need to meet. He, he could really use your help. Oh, there goes the heart. Uh, oh, okay. Well, here I go. And now here you are walking into the den with them because they've built you up. Hey, you're really good at this. You know, we could really, we could really use this. And it's a flattery that has the person receiving it, there's a compulsion in them to reciprocate. If you're praised in public, you don't have this natural sense that you, wait, wait, that is completely untrue. I am not that good. But whenever you're praised, there's this sense, even if you may not agree with it, you feel this sense of reciprocation. And that's used to then Whenever I've fawned over somebody, I've built them up. As Galatians 4 says, they make much of you that once they have you called out by yourself, that you would then make much of them. And we absolutely see this amongst it. This is not just high ranks of, of professional, professional Christianity, with the air quotes. We see this in our daily lives. We see this in our workplace. We see this as fallen people. We would see this amongst ourselves. How, how do we be flatter-proof? What's, what's the, the means by which would keep us uh, defended against that? It's our maturity. It's our own sense of our gifts, our abilities. Because really, the same mouth that builds you up, it had to tear somebody down to get you there. And you give it about, oh, how long until they need to put some, As soon as you're not amenable to their ways, what are they going to do? Tear you down. The other half of that is to, be, is to not be so persuaded by the compliments, the fawning, in the same way that you're not taken down by the criticisms and the attacks. You can be generally flatlined knowing what, your gifts and abilities are, you're appreciative, 
but there's a maturity that has to grow that you would be that you wouldn't be swayed by those attacks and if you are a flatterer a manipulator who do you typically go after the young ones the immature the new the the unaware and so we want to be flatter proof but it is through a growing maturity Paul says, we were not there just simply to flatter you. Remember, he's talking to those, writing to those who are in the context of conflict. They have gone from their pagan ways, their idolatry to Christianity. And he says, you guys weren't duped into this. I didn't trick you. We don't yet have it as though he's combating the false teachers. He's, he's helping bolster their ability to make it through conflict. He says, we were not there, verse 5, with a pretext for greed. And this one is not so much the fear of man. But Paul is saying, we didn't come with a plan to gain for ourselves. This word in the Greek, pleonexia, is determined by and defined by the context. Elsewhere in Scripture, we have it used, we're gre- or being greedy for gain, greedy for dishonest gain, greedy for every kind of impurity, so with no article here, he says, with a pretext of greed, for the, we didn't come wanting anything. We didn't have this sense that we would then give you steps to do that you would then follow us. But if you're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you begin to see what the context really is. Verse 6, he says, though we could have made demands as apostles... In verse 9, he says, remember, brothers, our labor and toil, how we worked day or night. So it is most likely we weren't there to try to get some type of finance. And I will say that those who, you know, he's saying we weren't trying to get rich, but that's not greedy. Being rich is not greedy. There are some men and women in our world who have a good idea, make a good product, they put it out for sale, and everybody freely offers them their money, and now they have a large sum. Is that evil? No. That's being rich. It's being smart. That's being, you know, entrepreneurial. It becomes greedy whenever they would use something dishonest to get it. I'm cheating a system here in order to get it out of you or I'm not giving you what I've promised. I just want the money. So I will say whatever I need to, to get you to follow. And whenever Paul moves on and he has that previous church supporting the ministry, he's saying, I wasn't there just simply trying to build my bank account and go on. What you had there was a genuine apostle who gave you his life. And I say that because I know Getting rich from ministry is hardly a temptation. We've never seen it before. But if it happens, then you'll be the first to know. Now you see those that use ministry to get rich. And Paul says that was not what we were doing. We are our third of the personalities there, the final designation, we did not seek glory from people. And this seeking, striving for, aiming at, trying to build up a context 
with which we would have, and the definition here is praise or adoration. The Old Testament picture is something very heavy. So he's communicating. We did not seek to gain heaviness. Think cornerstone, something that would sink down the foundation of this. This thing is massive and immovable. This is worth building upon. These guys, you know, this is the foundation. But if, as it's translated glory, we weren't seeking to be your highest praise. We're simply men. So whenever you started to praise, Paul says, we, were, we did not want to be between you and God for your praises. We didn't want the praise of how great we were as speakers, how great we were as ministers. So he goes every length he can to avoid people believing that he was something. Prior to this, in Acts 14, we have those who are saying of Paul and Barnabas, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So this was going on. This was absolutely a temptation because as Paul goes on in writing letters to the Corinthians, that there would be false teachers who come in behind him. And would it not be a temptation? If you were a, a good speaker, you were able to tell good stories, you had a good personality, you, know, you kind of had that it factor. It works out in your benefit. And at some point, you can make this situation so that your gifts really shine. And it's hard to tell where the Lord's work ends and you begin. And this does not need to be only for the celebrity. This just means that you tend to want to be the biggest fish in your pond. And if I need a little smaller pond, hey, we'll scoot over a little bit here. But the word celebrity, pastor, what's the root of celebrity? But to celebrate. That this is somebody that we want to praise and you know sing his praises. This is celebrity pastor. Is that not a temptation? Yeah, it appears to be. It, it's intoxicating. Because as that goes unchecked and there's not a recalibration consistently that the man bringing the message here, Paul, he says, we didn't seek glory. He's trying to get out of the way. I only want to connect you with the Lord. I'm just simply a mouthpiece. And Christ said as much in John 5, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek that which comes only from God? Paul saying, I wasn't there. It in some form to be praise to be glorified he wanted whenever he was tested by god to be pleasing to god and i believe we likewise would want that but is there a man in scripture who it sounds familiar that he really wanted people to praise him does that sound vaguely familiar anybody who might think thoughts like who would the king delight or who would the king desire to delight more than me, yes. I thought a lot of people would go with Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Esther, the, the book of Esther, and starting in chapter 3, we have the king honors Haman be, and puts him above all of the other guards. So he's, he was legitimately doing well, and he said, well, I need to raise you to, a, to the proper position. We don't need you down here in the low ranks. 
And whenever he put him up in the proper position, everybody was praising this accomplishment that he had. So Haman goes about through the city, and he, as he goes through the city gate, there's a man there who does not bow down. And all it took was that one man, and we have the book of Esther in the eternal record, infuriated him to the point where he then creates this whole context with which he wants this man, actually, he actually wanted the whole people group gone. And the, the way that it all goes, if you remember that the king says it to Haman, he says it in chapter 6, verse 6, so Haman came in to the king, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man with whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, so these are his internal thoughts, whom would the king delight to honor more than me, more than this guy? And so he lays it out. You should put a robe on him. You should put him on a great horse. You should pray to him. The people should praise him. And what does he say? Go do this to Mordecai. And there he is. It says he ran home in shame, built the gallows, snare, by which he was then executed. So Haman had this plan to be as high as possible, and it says he made it like 75 cubits. And then he was unalived, is the, uh, the new PC term. <laughs> and that is the process for so many, is that they are doing well, but as that prosperity, as the blessings of God are occurring in their lives and in their ministries. Things are growing. They begin to boast in their efforts instead of the Lord. And I'm fine with you boasting in the ministry because by chance of ricochet, it lands on me. And so we want to build this up. We want to praise it. But Paul says, by no means. We worked quietly. If Nobody would have known we were there otherwise. We did these out of sight. But then we get to verse 7, and here's the title of our message today. Paul wanted to appeal to what they actually saw. It wasn't this, it wasn't this, it wasn't this, it wasn't this. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Again, an image back to the nursing mother. Because you had become very dear to us. And this imagery here is what we emulate in the way that we would share the gospel. The way that you would do it at work. The way that you would do it at the grocery store. Wherever the Lord puts you in connection with somebody Hold on to this image, and I want us to expand it a little bit, that it would hold firm in your mind of what is this actually supposed to look like. So as Paul says, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother. Nursing mother is literally translated as? Bingo, nursing mother. There's, man. All right, well, my work here is done. Is this something we have all experienced? Yes. Is there anybody here yet to be born? 
No, we've all experienced it, but do you remember your first year of life? No, the only way that you remember what it was like to be so tenderly cared for is that now as adults, we can look back and say, oh, that's what it looked like. That's what the ministry to me, I can see a mother caring for her child. And it was just like that for me coming into the kingdom. I don't remember all the details of the day that the, that I, the lights finally turned on for me, but there were absolutely men who cared for me. There were absolutely those who made sure that I was cared for in that moment. And it was not simply now sign up here, show this, because we're going to have a parade of uh, souls here in about three minutes. We want you to take the lead. Wouldn't have happened. But when we see a nursing mother, the selflessness, the dedication, the self-giving, literally giving of her own body, this description is one that is one you can see. You've already received it, but now that you're grown, you're able to emulate Christ, emulate the apostle in giving of yourself. I remember whenever the first kids were born, and it was amazing to us because you go into the hospital, you have the kids, it seems like such an event, and then you walk out with the kids in the, <laughs> in the uh, carriers, and the door shuts behind you, and it's just me, two kids, and my wife, and it's like, they're just going to let us have these things? <laughs> like, I didn't even do an application process. I just, like, seriously, I mean, you've, like, run, because, yeah. But I had the key ingredient, because if they, if, who in the world is going to care more for those? All I knew was don't drop them and don't shake them, okay? But whenever you have mama bear with you, those kids are the safest they could possibly be. Who else would give their life in such a manner that a mother would? And yet, listen to Isaiah chapter 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continue before me, continually before me. You do not forget that you had that child. Mothers, do you forget how many children you have? The word here, gentle, so you have the image of a nursing mother. The word gentle is literally translated childish, untaught, or unskilled. Paul's literally saying, we were infants among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That doesn't sound right. So he's saying, we were infants taking care of infants. Does that sound right? If I were to have you consider 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I think this will bring it into the imagery, into perspective. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And he says, I didn't come to you as some high-minded prophet here, as some preacher with all of these all of this great biblical theology with which you must listen, learn, tend to. I came to you in the most simple, broke down, delicate way. You didn't need to know all of these great things before you were born. You simply needed a nursing mother. As evangelists, that the Lord has put us in this community, we don't need a PhD to share the gospel. If, if you had one, you'd probably overwhelm somebody pretty easily. And so you have to restrain yourself. You have to restrict yourself. You have to be like infants, not knowing all of these other great things. And whenever Paul said in chapter one that be imitators of us, we're imitators. He didn't say to become disciples. There's a teaching element there. Before we could get to any of that, we simply shared ourselves with you. I gave myself away. You want to witness to somebody? Be with them. Be with them. And Christ in you is what is effective there, that they see you, that they can see the way that you live, the way that you speak to one another, the way, the things that you find uh, praiseworthy. And that hope inside of you, they say, wait, where does that come from? How does that endure? And now you have one who is attentive. We don't come trying to show everybody how much we know. It's not about our fame or fortune. It's about connecting those who need Christ to Christ. I'm thankful that Paul does not say, instead of nursing mother, we came to you like the mother of a toddler. There's a big difference, isn't there? I'm hearing some laughter. It's a much different image in our minds. The mother of a toddler, if you said, well, I've got, I've got three toddlers, what is she really trying to communicate to you? That's why my hair looks this way. I'm running around frantic. I don't know where anything is. I'm out of time. Because a nursing baby, he, she, hypothetically, she can't talk back. They can't go anywhere. They absolutely need you. But as they begin to grow up, well, you see why Paul then in the next paragraph says, we were like fathers among you. There's a difference. Your kids care nothing for you whenever they are first born. A father's over in the corner like, uh, we're married, right? Like, you remember I'm over here. She is so attentive to that baby. I actually heard a, an interview, uh, hilariously. Several years back, there was a song that came out that uh, it was a rock song, one of the Christian rock songs. And the, the lyrics were, uh, I feel it deep within uh, it's just beneath my skin. I feel like a monster. And, you know, it's got that rock edge to it. I, you know, I hate what I've become. It, it's a, you know, I'm, um, the nightmare has just become, I feel like a monster. And they interviewed the lead singer and they said, 
how, what's the reception been on this song? He said, you'd be amazed. You know the person who comes up to me after our concerts and says, that's exactly how I feel. The, the mothers of young children. <laughs> I feel like a monster. It's, it's humorous, but the, the hook of the song is the Romans seven twenty four. you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? But that his primary reception was among mothers who had young children. He, he found that uh, hilarious, and I found it hilarious enough to provide that as an example <laughs> 12 years later. Now, we've, some of us have never been nursing mothers, unlikely to be nursing mothers, but we get that image there of the apostle coming and not providing them the things with which they can't handle yet, but that which is needed, and they literally, whenever he says, I'm giving of myself, you get that picture. Where does the baby feed from, a nursing mother? But it is literally, as she takes these things in, food, nourishment, it is then provided directly through her body to keep another one alive. And Paul is saying, what we've received from the Lord, what came to us, that not only nourished us, but that is the very substance with which we were then able to provide to you. And likewise, we're the ministers of Christ. If you've been born again, then you're alive in Christ. I mean, all the imagery is lining up there that we then are to give of ourselves that others might feed. And I want you to see this in a picture. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. And we hear this from Christ. Matthew chapter 9, and just in verse, starting in verse 36. And this is Christ. So it says in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Not to send out those who would bring back a harvest, but simply to send out those who would do the work needed. We've probably heard that part before, but look there in verse 36. Because they were, there's two words there, harassed and helpless. The real image of the newborn child, one who is not able to, navigate these difficult, uh, the difficulties of life on their own. They need a shepherd. They need a parent. They need somebody to come alongside them. And as there are new believers, it is our giving of ourselves that would, our desire is not to protect them, to keep them from harm, to keep them from some of the false teachers so that they would then join us. And now I've got me a new Instagram follower that I can I built up my numbers here. Hey, you're going to follow me and I can take you wherever I want. We're protecting them with the fear of God that, no, I I want to make sure that nothing gets to that nursing child, to my infant, because it's between him and the Lord. So I'm going to give of myself whatever is required 
that those who are new in the faith would be kept pure, would be kept safe. That's a lot different than just standard tracks. Hey, you know, give out tracks, make sure people hear this stuff. And if they have questions, wait for them. No, the ministry of, that Christ had here, he had compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless. And our world is absolutely harassed and helpless without, without Christ. Is there a day that you're not under attack from any of the media sources that come in? Are they not assaulting what you believe, what you've committed your heart to? And it is a constant noise of harassment that how do you get away from it? I heard turn it off. (laughs) Right. Whenever we listen to the world and we let that have a voice in us or in our head, it is simply a noise that we say, "I, I need that out of here because that's not the source that God's going to use to purify us. And we, as ministers, that is, that is what we see here from Paul on how to keep the ministry pure, but how to protect them that they might begin to grow up. And the field is white with the harvest. And we'll, as we see the next time, he says that as they were growing up and we were like a father among you, and there's the role of the father in caring for the children as they grow up. It's different than the nursing mother. Both are needed. But our theology is, I mean, that's a good picture that if it's working in us, it's because it's working through us. And if we ever have this idea that in, whether it be in fear or self-glorification, that God is doing all these wonderful things for me and I'm being built up and it's not flowing out of me, it shuts down. We're to be the conduit with which what comes down then goes out. God does not minister to us, communicate truths to us, just simply that we might know them and bash somebody with them or keep ourselves reserved because we know. No, what he gives us is at first pure milk. And that's where People start. That's the ministry. And as we go, there's more to be said, which we'll get to. But I don't want us to step off from the image of that nursing mother caring for the infant. And with that, let's pray. God, I, I know the appreciation is here amongst your people. That you have sent someone to us Lord, in our time of helplessness, our time of difficulty, that it was those caring words in the compassion of your people that brought us to our understanding of you. It was the ministry to us. And so may our hearts desire this. May our hearts desire you, the one who would care for us in those moments. And we, we all have lives full of ourselves. It's easy to maintain that. Just waiting for a ministry that would never come. But Lord, send us out that we would have compassion, that we wouldn't stand back in fear, but that we would go forward boldly, well-equipped 
Lord, if we know you, we're, we're well equipped to do what you've called us to. And for those, Lord, of us who have this opportunity this week, one-on-one, Lord, whatever size that platform may be, may we be found faithful because we have joyfully and lovingly ministered to others. And it's, it's not for us, Lord, but it's for you. Lord, put these desires in us. We're not sufficient to conjure them up ourselves, but we thank you for this image, Lord, that's been done to us. May we go likewise ministering in the same way. In Christ's name I ask this. Amen.